Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. This is our second week in our One one Another series. I'll get it out there. I also want to give a special thank you to the choir for not only singing for us and leading us this morning, but also providing an excellent segue uh, into my message. Um, The lyrics go along perfectly. I've heard a couple claps. Why don't we thank them? Thank you guys so much for leading us so well. Um, Last week, Pastor Adam talked to us about what it means to love one another, and he did so using three points, which were love God first, rely on the Holy Spirit, and sacrifice and serve. This week, we will be talking about serving one another. On a side note, I think you all would be very proud of me. Many of you know that I have been recovering from a three-point sermon problem. This kind of seems to be my ebb and flow of how I present material. I was stuck for a while, but over time, I've finally broken out of this dark, dark place. And Adam's sermon was a strong temptation to go back. There's just something beautifully balanced about three points. You can see it's, it's addicting, right? Like, there's just like this good sense of completion. The Trinity, three, you know, there's, it's just there. Uh, but I was able to hold strong. So this morning, you have a four-point sermon. You've got an extra point for all of that. I think I did hear someone groan. That's not nice. You shouldn't do such things. I think the classic Bible verse for serving one another comes from Paul in Galatians, chapter five, verses 13, and it says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And if you're a question-oriented thinker like me, I just don't know why my mind works this way, but uh, I always ask questions about what I experience or the things that I read. And if you're like me, you might be wondering this question, how do we serve one another in love? These are very thoughtful words of Paul. He puts them together on purpose, and there's a lot of themes going through the letter of Galatians. So the, the phrase, serve one another humbly in love, is weighty. Um, and so how do we do that well? That's an important question. And this is where the four points come in. Uh, if you were to read Galatians 5, 1 through 6, 10, and I, I would very much invite you to do that. I didn't want to read it all for us this morning because we'd be reading for a while. Uh, but for your homework for this week, read over that passage, lean into it. And in that passage, uh, I think these four things kind of come to life from Paul. He leads us in this way, to, sur- to serve one another in love. We must be led by the Spirit, be humble, be a team player, and be an advocate others. Be led by the Spirit, be humble, be a team player, and be an advocate for others. In the passage, five, Galatians 5, 1 to 6, 10, Paul talks a lot about what it means to live into the freedom offered to us by Jesus. And a pretty big concern for Paul is our actions and interactions with one another. Uh, A lot of the 
letter of Galatians is wired around or oriented around how do we relate to one another, particularly uh, post-Christ, particularly after Christ's life, death, and resurrection? What does it mean to live into being the kingdom of God in the here and now? And in Galatians 5, Paul explains through why it is difficult for us to treat people well. And he uses language like indulging the flesh or gratifying the desires of the flesh. And what he means by flesh, when he's using that language, he's talking about our me-oriented appetites, the me and mine type of wiring that we just seem to have by human nature. We seem to just be a little bit self-oriented or, or selfishly wired, sometimes even narcissistic if you will. Uh, And one of the many effects of sin is that our desire is to be like God. If you remember all the way back to Genesis chapter two and chapter three, the temptation the serpent offered was you can be like God. If you but eat this piece of fruit, you will be like God. And there's been something in us since the very beginning that has wanted to be like God, or perhaps to put it a little bit differently, to be treated like a God, right? I think that's really the point of it all is that this self-wiring in us has this desire to be treated like a God. We put ourselves on that platform and we want others to look at us on that platform of well. Because of sin, really are a self-centered set of people. To act otherwise requires the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit which is why we must first be led by the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, Paul puts it this way. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So as I think we're grappling with some of this, what we recognize is that the Holy Spirit and through Christ's ministry, we have the opportunity to combat something that is hardwired in us, this self-seeking desire to be treated like a God. We have the opportunity in Jesus to pivot and to be much more others-oriented, to think through what it means to serve one another. So the question I think we need to reflect on Um, as we're in Christ and learning what it means to be living this gospel life, is how consistently do we seek the help of the Holy Spirit? Do we ask him this regularly? Do we lean in? Do we ask for his help daily? Do we ask for his help every moment? Do we recognize that we are in consistent need of not only of Christ's grace, but also of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Or are we just simply going through the motions of everyday life, each day in our own strength and in our own power? How how are we operating uh, in our day-to-day? If we are relying on ourselves, then odds are we're making a pretty good mess of things on our own. And then unfortunately, what's also likely happening is we're making a mess for others. So those that are around us in this experience are also experiencing our mess because we're too often leaning into our self-wired orientation, our narcissistic tendencies, our me and mine types of personalities. That said, 
We must also recognize that the Holy Spirit is not some sort of genie. He's not here to grant our every wish. We don't get three wishes. We don't just get to lean in and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I am a complete sinner. I need you to take over. Even if our prayer is that those wishes that we want from the Holy Spirit is to say that I want you to take charge of my life. And then now I can blame the Holy Spirit, right? Because like I asked, he's God, he should be able to deliver. Now I'm not just like, things aren't working out like I asked. The Holy Spirit doesn't operate in that way. He expects some participation from us as well. Instead, the Holy Spirit helps us as we engage. He's our advocate and he's also our helper. He's here to help us. What I've often found in this tension, and I don't know about you, is that I don't often always feel the help of the Spirit until I take a participation step. And then what's amazing is when I step in, when I lean in, I find that he's right there with me. I don't have to wait for him. I don't have to go, well, I'm out here. Help me out. I'm drowning without you. But until I take that step, until I lean in, I don't find that I feel the Spirit in the same way. There's something that we're in this together and that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. We have a proactive part to take in this whole serving others thing. And after we seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, after we start with the recognition or the realization that I'm a little too me-oriented to serve others well, um, our first proactive step of partnership is to be humble, to take on humility. And humility is a tricky thing. Uh, As y'all have been living this life, have you noticed that sometimes life's just not fair, right? Some people have some things that we don't have and we'd like to have, and that's just kind of how things work itself out. Uh, And that's even the case with humility. Some people seem to just get this naturally. They just seem to be humbly oriented people, and that's great. Others of us wrestle with this. And it's hard for us to take on humility. And we have to lean in a little bit harder. Earlier, we noted how because of sin, we suffer from this self-centeredness. Yet Jesus offered not only a different example, he also paved the way for us to be able to be different by conquering our sin nature. In Philippians 2, 1 to 8, Paul talks about humility like this. Therefore, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and that's part of how he invites us into a different way of being, that somehow mysteriously we are united with Christ. He's partnering with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit who holds us all together, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. I think sometimes when we look at the ministry of Jesus, we don't recognize all of the humility markers that are there present within his life. The incarnation in and of itself, Jesus taking on human flesh, imposing himself into time and space in the way that he had was deep humility. He was in perfect harmonious relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then he looks at the condition of what the world is like and goes, I will go to them. I will leave this perfect, harmonious relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I will take on human flesh. I will wrestle with temptation, with disease, with sickness, with disappointment. If you read through the Gospels, you realize that Joseph was a pretty instrumental figure early on, and then he just seems to disappear. It's very likely that Jesus experienced some pretty traumatic loss at some point. So Jesus feels the full gamut of emotional relationship with us and then takes on the humility of being crucified on a cursed cross because anyone who was to be nailed to a tree in the Old Testament was cursed. There's humility markers all over Jesus. So we tend to overlook the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus has. And his acts of humility, I think, challenges the common conception of humility. For whatever reason, when we look at humbleness, I think sometimes we equate it with weakness. Like if only that person were to take charge a little bit more, if they would only lean in a little bit harder, they could lead a little bit better. Uh, and we, we equate these things as weakness when in fact, humility requires an inordinate amount of strength. The word that comes to my mind when I think of humility is restraint. It's like restraint of power. And the images that start coming to my mind are when you think of those huge uh, towers that hold the power lines, running massive power lines, and you watch and you see these big cables anchoring them down and it's restraining them. It's keeping them in place. Or another image that comes to my mind is a giant cruise ship <clears throat> that has this anchor dropped into the ocean at times in order to anchor it from the battering waves and it keeps it, that whole ship, it keeps restrained. And those are the images that come to mind when I think of humility. In his purpose-driven life devotional, Rick Warren offered what is, in my opinion, a very helpful definition of humility. He said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Have you ever seen someone try to embrace humility by putting themselves down? Have you ever watched this? Or maybe by saying self-deprecating things about themselves or about their gifts or their looks or their personality. If that happens to be you, could you stop that? You are loved by God. He created you on purpose. He created you with the personality that you have for a reason. He has given you your gifts for a reason. Downplaying those things or making yourself appear or feel less than or inadequate for someone else is not humility. On the one end, it's actually kind of a backhand slap to the creator who made you this way on purpose. 
On the other end, what it does is in fact, it's a pretty dangerous game that either leads to depression because we start believing these things as we repeat them over and over again, which isn't humility in the first place, but then we start to own into this identity and we start to grab it as our own or it's manipulation. And it's trying to get someone else to do something else for us so they see us differently and it's underhanded. In all cases, it's a lie that comes from the father of all lies. True humility is an honest thinking of yourself less often, not thinking of yourself less, or not thinking less of yourself. C.S. Lewis put it this way, a really humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. He continued on to say, now you can be mad at Lewis. Lewis said these things, I didn't say these things. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud and a biggish step too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. True humility requires discipline and accountability. Discipline because we, have, we are having to engage the rewiring of our minds. We're trying to get it to form new patterns of thinking, new patterns of behavior. So it takes discipline. We're not going to get it overnight. And accountability because it's so easy for us to go back to the old way of, of doing things that we have to have someone in our life who's willing to tell us the hard truth of you need to get back on track. So if we want to be humble, we need to have both discipline and accountability. And going back to Rick Warren's quote for a second, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. God has given each of us unique gifts, talents, and abilities that we are to be proud of, that we're to lean into. In fact, we are to develop these gifts so well that we're very confident in the gifts that we have because God intends for us to use them as a part of a bigger team, which leads us to our third point. To serve one another in love, we must be a team player. Now, some of you are going to judge me for this. What happens next? I'm sorry. Some of you are going to judge me favorably. Some of you are going to judge me negatively. Hey, it just happens. My favorite sports team of all time, pregnant pause is the Chicago Bulls, particularly the 1996 to 1998 teams, favorite teams of all time. The championship series of the 1997 season was between the Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz. It's game six. Chicago leads the series three to two. If they win, they win the championship and there's 20 seconds left. The game is tied. Everyone in the building and watching on TV, even the announcers are making comments of this, expects Michael Jordan to take the final shot. And after getting the ball from Scottie Pippen, Jordan drives into the lane to meet a bunch of defenders and instead of shooting, passes to a guy named Steve Kerr, who hits the last shot with five seconds left and wins the, wins the game. Now I said all of that story basically to tell this part, which is my favorite part of the story. During the parade, Steve Kerr delivers one of the funniest championship speeches I've ever seen. If you've never watched it, you have to look it up. He's asked by a reporter to describe the final shot. So he says, 
In the timeout, Phil Jackson leans over to Michael Jordan and tells him, I want you to take the last shot. Michael Jordan looks at Phil and says, I don't really feel comfortable in these sorts of situations. Maybe we ought to go in another direction. Why don't we go to Steve? So I thought to myself, well, I guess I've got to bail Michael out again. The shot went in and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I always find the interview so funny, but the reason why I love the 96 to 98 Bulls is that everyone that I looked at on that team knew their purpose. They knew their place. They knew what they were there for and they had a united vision of what could be if they played together as a team. They knew what was expected of them. And this is the same sort of thing when we watch an orchestra or a symphony play. It is any time that we bring together a wide set of people offering a bit and piece, our little part that comes together to make something so much more beautiful and grand than what we could have ever have done on our own. We've all heard this cliche phrase, right? Teamwork makes the dream work, right? That's the case with the body of Christ too. The Holy Spirit empowers us with ability and we use that ability humbly with others to benefit the great body of Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, for we were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made of one part, but many. In Paul's metaphor, we can see how crucially important each one of us is. A body without feet has a difficult time walking. A body without eyes is in a hard way, right? It's hard to not go through life without seeing. Without ears to hear, we're going to experience and encounter some difficulties. In this same way, we need each other. We need to bring our gifts together corporately to lean in and serve one another so that we can live into the call that God has placed on all of our lives. What is that call? I'm glad you asked. It's to be an advocate for others, to lean into the kingdom of God and bring it into the here and now. Paul tells us that in Galatians 5.14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So who's our neighbor? Well, a good place to start, especially in the United States, is with your neighbor. You know, uh, the person across the street that you might not know, uh, that you might not know their name, lean in, get to know them. It could be your family. It could be your coworkers. In today's world with technology the way it is, your neighbor can be halfway across the world. You can impact someone halfway across the world. Furthermore, and you can be mad at Jesus for this one, our enemies are also our neighbors. In Matthew 5, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We have been tasked with spreading the kingdom of God to our neighbors, including our enemies. We have a purpose. We have a plan. God is calling us and challenging us under the ministry of his son to be ambassadors, to lean in, to enable people to know and understand and experience the love of God. And we have a part to play in that. 
I'm giving us homework for this week. Is that all right? Is that okay? You all are brave. You said yes, and you didn't know the homework. Next time you want want to listen first. Here's the homework. Make it a point this week, every day, to ask the Holy Spirit to lean in and reveal to you the gifts that you have. The ones you know about, and maybe the ones that you don't know about. And then ask him to bless you with vision for what to do with those gifts. Ask him who you're supposed to be in partnership with to bring that vision to life and to lean into that intentionally together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're amazed by you. Jesus, we stand in awe in your, at your humility and grace that you set an example for us of what it looks like to serve one another and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you equip us with the capacity to be able to do so in like manner. Lord, help us to understand our gifts and to own them and to be proud of them and to be proud of you for giving them to us. But in humility, may we learn to come together united under your spirit, under your lordship, so that we can bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, so that people can experience and know your love in ever increasingly profound ways. And Lord, as we come together as your body, might we be able to understand your love more wholeheartedly for ourselves as we see it expressed in the other serving alongside us. Lord, we long for you to be glorified and to live into the purpose of our creation. May your grace and your love and your mercy guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.